This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for our it's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Kev, this is the last show. It'll have a real estate roundup. Yep, we're wrapping and, it up. And we've got Mike coming back talking about his house. It's being reconstructed by you, but was unconstructed by this other contractor, right? Oof, if you want to call it that. Oh, but we're going to talk about the positive point on this replay. And we're rounding third, and we're coming into home. So we're at the home stretch. we still got a lo- little bit more longer to go. And, but we're trying to get to that date that he's looking forward to get into the area where it's going to be move-in ready and get our CO. So Mike's on the phone now to say, where are we at and how are we doing? From the last time we talked, I knew we didn't have any drywall up. Where are we at now? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You brought tears to my wife's eye again. Uh, we walked in the house and yeah, like she, she, oh my God, we have walls. Now she's walking into the kitchen like, oh my God, there's a kitchen. It's, it's just amazing. It just gives you that wow factor. As soon as you walk in those front doors, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's good to put a smile on somebody's face when they walk in to see the progression of the house. For our new listeners that we keep adding to the, the show every week, Mike is in the process. He had a little bit of a situation where he had a fire. Bad contractor got involved. Didn't really do much. Took a lot of the money and left the job with only doing a little bit of the work without doing a permit. Then when he got a permit, everything had to be ripped out that I did because it was all done wrong. The inspector made me rip everything out. So we are in the process. Everything's been inspected, has been approved. The drywall's up. Starting about two weeks ago, we started doing the doors, the trim, the cabinet installation. So we are getting close. And then Tom Adams is going to be coming to do the flooring. It's next week, I believe. And they're going to be moving in very, very soon. So what we're talking about is the progression of the house. I mean, Mike, when you're now dealing with a legitimate contractor, somebody knows what they're doing, what are some of the things that you can help our listeners with? How we have worked as opposed to say the other guy so our old contractors they charged us a ton of money and they still to this day have not accounted for it and you give us daily updates and yeah it's like wow you know as a homeowner and especially when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars as a homeowner and your money you want to know at least 
how it's being spent. These guys couldn't even, they still to this day can't account for any of the money and you make it so much nicer on the homeowner to feel comfortable with moving on with a very traumatic event in your life. So thank you. That's the way it should be though, Mike. Every contracting job, especially if it's a large one like yours, is a custom job. So you need to know exactly what's going into it. When's it going to be finished? How much is it going to cost? What are the materials? Yada, yada, yada. Right on down the line. So uh, Kevin does that and this other guy obviously fell far, far short for you, right? Yep. Yeah, one of the things we did talk about, which we're going to talk about in the horror story, is that the things that he did, we had to rip out. So it, it delayed more time because a lot of people are like, how are you getting this done? I'm like, well, I, I'm working a little bit extra hours. We squeezed them in. So we decided to get some work done there. And then we had built a showroom stop, two-car garage. We also built in the interim. So he's happy with us. And I'm, I still tell him, this is like a side job for me. This is not the way we run his job. But he's extremely happy. I mean, within less than two months, we pretty much put a whole house together, plus finished up the other job, plus built a two-story shop two-car garage, and we've already started another monster job. And everybody knows when I start a job, we work on one job and finish. But I had to do some things because I couldn't see them being without no home. So we decided to just step in, get it done for them so they can get moved and make them whole again. But that's what we like to do. That's what I've been doing for 34 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to see how his family's progression when they come to the house. Your daughter, I tell you, cute as a button. Tell her she still owes me a donut. She took my donut. His wife brought donuts over and... uh I went to go get my chocolate donut and she ate my donut. So then uh, she took the box and we were, I was chasing around the house and it was just nice to see a smile on her face just running around because I know in the first couple of weeks, Mike, you, you probably seen, it was just tough to go to the house because nothing was getting done. I seen the stress on you and your wife's face of how for almost a year you were sitting without your house and nothing was getting done and you put out a lot of money to see this. So it's really nice to see a smile on your face. So that's kudos to you. Thank you. It's unbelievable. Can't thank you enough. So what is the ETA now on moving back? We're still a couple weeks away of getting a lot of the stuff wrapped up. The paint is going to be starting next week. The flooring is going to be starting next week, which should take us about 90-some percent. There's a few other things that we got to do that Mike and I talk about just to get a CO. It's kind of wasted money, but the inspector's making us do it, like put a set of steps on the, the patio door in the kitchen that we put on. Mm-hmm. So, And I get it. Look, they want to be safe just in case if something happens and it's another year or two down the line that they're not going to be using that patio door. They want steps there so they can be usable. Right. So everything's got to be functional. So that's the stuff we're going to be piecemealing from here till we get in. But I really think we're still we're shooting for that November 30th date, and we are getting so close to doing it. I'm really confident that we're going to be on that date so we can yeah. get them in there. How big is the house? It's a four-bedroom house. It's about 2,800 square feet, but that doesn't include the finished basement, so it's a little bit bigger than that. And how much of the house, after the first contractor got there and botched the job, how much of it did you have to do over those 2,800 square feet? How much did you have to do over? Like 80% of it. I don't know what right looks like, but now I know what right looks like because of Kevin. And I'll tell you what, if I knew what I know now and watched these guys, I would have fired them a lot sooner. It's very clear that they had no intention of it ever moving us back into that house. They were just trying to make it look like they were doing work and they just wanted to steal our money and pull the ignorance card and just act like, oh, sorry, we thought we knew what we were doing, but nope, all we really wanted was your money. Sorry. So it was a shakedown from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. It's very evident now. The guy billed you once and now he's billing you again and there's no paperwork, no estimates, nothing. No, funny thing is, is he hired a lawyer 
which I guess kind of semi-served me yesterday in an email, although I'm still expecting something in person. But I was going through the paperwork that the lawyer sent me. And again, as I said earlier, there's $135,000 that are unaccounted for. He's charged me a bill for like $175,000. The really funny thing is the $40,000 he's claiming that I owe him was actually well spent. It was the demolition and the packout. That's really all they did. They're claiming that basically $150,000 additional to all the work that they did and now had to be torn down and redone. They're saying I owe them $150,000 for that. (laughs) It wasn't really much, Ron. There was some rough plumbing, rough electric, and a little bit of mechanical work, but none of the duct work was run because they had no walls to do it. They had to put, there was planning in the beginning was something when you do, when you build a house, you got to make sure you plan it ahead to make sure everything's going to work, not just whip stuff together and, hey, we got a problem here. We can't run duct work up the middle of the, the kitchen because there's nowhere to put it. So there was just some of the things that weren't get done. But the framing, it was it was simple. I've never seen a, a Jack and King stud. It only had one stud. It looked like, uh, for our listeners, it was one stub going up the left and right, and it looked like a T was the header. And when I was showing Mike's wife, I was grabbing it, and I ripped the one off with my hand. Then the other one, I just gave it a tap with my foot. That stud came off, and I said, how's the door going to be able to hold it? If I can kick it with my foot and break it apart. Oh, forget that. That's not going to happen, yeah. So, and then we we reframed a lot of the, the area up. And I knew Michelle was there, your, your wife, and she said, you know, is it done? I said, well, grab it and start shaking. And she couldn't move it. And I said, this is the way it should be done. Because when doors are installed, there's a lot of weight twisting and turning that you're throwing on that door. And it could be offset where it doesn't work. You can't have that. You've got to make sure the door's installed and installed correctly. Mike, remember I told you I was very anal about my doors? How do you like my doors the way they open and close all your interior doors? My God, it's pristine. And and here's the, even the bigger challenge. I know you had a problem leveling those out because the house is 40 years old. It's settled in an awkward way. And there was damage done in the garage at some point, like 20 years ago. And they like, it settled like an entire inch on one side, like lower than the other. So I know you had a problem putting those doors in and yeah, it, it's perfect. I don't know how you did it. Uh, ingenuity. And uh, so there's sometimes when you take the level and you just put it down and say, we're going to put the door in to make sure it works. Most of the good contractors know what I'm How talking did you about. do it? It's called experience. Seriously, I mean, physically, how did you do it? I'm not telling you my secrets. Okay, right. <laughs> so, right. Bottom line is the door's got to work. It's got to be functional. Mm-hmm. And even my one of my guys that uh, was there with me said, you know, how are you going to get this to work? I said, this is what you got to do. These are some of the things. I was trying to give him some insight of how to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's just time and experience mm-hmm. for all the years to possibly fix problems that are wrong. Because even like the doors in the closet we had worked out, and I, I kept cutting them. And he's like, there's a bigger gap at the bottom. I'm like, well, yeah, I know. Well, what Mike's talking about, there's a major hump in the in the master bedroom floor. So if I didn't cut them up high enough, when you open the door, it would hit the subfloor and wouldn't open. So I had to get it just enough up that it's going to be above that hump. But it's nothing structural. It's nothing that's going to fall down. It's been that way for years. And I've seen it many times in a lot of the homes. It's just something we deal with. And I told Mike, I have it in my house, right down the kitchen. Like if you stand towards my kitchen, towards the middle, it feels like you're almost falling backwards, but it's normal. What a lot of contractors will do is they'll scare you into trying to fix something like this. Ah, oh, this lore is it's damaged. It's $10,000 to fix it. We're going to have major problems. Well, no, it's it's been that way for years. It's going to last. And maybe you have to cut the doors up a little bit higher because... That's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to spend money on it. This is normal. And when it comes to structure, I tell people I worry about it. Like the beam at Mike's out, that was a big problem. That had to be redone and mm-hmm. the township inspected it. But this is not. So I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm just here to educate people that sometimes you don't need to spend money. I don't mind spending your money. I'm not going to waste your money. 
And that's why I try to educate you enough so you understand exactly what we're doing and know what you're getting into. So there is going to be no questions like, well, what if? What if? And I don't want that with our homeowners. And that's what we're trying to do here on the show is to give our listeners enough education so they can find their contractor so they're not going to have a problem as this goes on like Mike had. We can give you some advice, too, in the horror story, which we have coming up. Okay, Ryan, as we continue with the horror story with Mike, we're going to talk about some of the problems that he ran into and how to avoid it with your contractor as you're moving forward or anywhere around the country when you hire somebody. Yeah, Mike, I think what happened to you here is a good lesson for a lot of people, especially people who have major, major work done on their house. And your contractor didn't give you any estimates. He didn't give you any invoices against the money you gave them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. There was a lot of red flags early on. Well, first of all, my wife and I were actually going through the house like a few days after the fire like it was probably eight o'clock at night just trying to salvage what we can and these guys first of all showed up eight o'clock at night which i've happened to find out later is against the law they're not allowed to do that first red flag second red flag the adjuster and the contractor came together also another red flag that's illegal you're not allowed to do that so they came to the house and they talked a good game we ended up hiring them. So between those two red flags and then early on, early on, everything kind of went well. They demolished everything really, really fast. I didn't really see anything going on. But the biggest red flag that I didn't realize at the time that I now realize is as soon as the house was gutted down to the studs, the framing that was done, it was so bad. I can't even believe it. I'm more of a tech guy. I'm not a handyman by any means. I mean, now that I know what right looks like, oh my God, I would have fired these guys like nine months ago. Well, what yeah, exactly was wrong with the framing? Did you see it, Kev? I fixed it. Framing from the one, the beam, when you get there, when people put beams in their house, beams are like a game of Jenga. So when you have Jenga built, you know, when you need to pull some pieces out, well, imagine the, the game being pulling all the pieces out at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's going to fall down. Mm-hmm. So this beam from the beginning, where it was sitting on, it was sitting on an existing header. Uh, the load carry off that header is not going to be able to carry that entire house because that goes from the first floor to the second floor mm-hmm. to the attic to any snow that's going to be falling on there. Works its way all the way down to those two points left and right of the beam. Right, right. Beneath that is called continuous pinning, which means I need to stabilize from that beam all the way down to the concrete. Another beam that's a post beam that we put in. And then the concrete, that was only three and a half inches thick there. I had to dig out 14 inches of dirt, rebar, put 14 inches two by two of concrete, so it sits on that with J-bolts and anchor boots. So that load carry comes from the ground, all that concrete, straight up with the header all the way into that first to second and floor. he didn't do any of this? No. When I was there the one time, he's talking about, well, you don't need all that. I said, well, what about the permit? Well, you actually talk to the contractor. I, I happened to be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I happened to be there. It was funny because I told him I was just a handyman. I knew he knew something was up because I was just kind of asking him a little bit. And then I started just hitting him a little bit more. And I knew he was getting upset. Some of the questions I was asking him, he didn't even know. Like if you don't know how to frame a beam out exactly what should be done, I do it all the time. How much experience did he say he had? I know by the judgment of what the workmanship was done. I seen that. We have the pictures. I know, Mike, you took some pictures, but I, I seen it personally. The inspector seen it, and the inspector said, bottom line is that you have to rip this out or it's never going to pass. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted the inspector there, just because Mike and I first Verification. met. I did want to make yeah. it sound like I'm trying to sell them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, every contractor walks into a house and says, oh, this contractor did this wrong, this contractor did that wrong. And you know me for years. I don't like to do that. But when the inspector says, this has got to be ripped out and redone or it's never going to pass, I'm sure you felt more comfortable with me when the inspector was telling you that also, correct? Absolutely. When I was there, yeah, 
the inspector went through and he's like, this is not going to fly, essentially, is what he said. And I was just blown away. And like, I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, how much more money do we have to spend? <laughs> how much money have you spent with a guy? And how much is he asking for even over and above that? We gave him $135,000 already. He sent us a bill for $175,000, which he didn't even account for the 135 that we already gave him. This guy is just all over the place. It's such a poorly put together document. You kind of have to laugh about it, but it's totally not cool. He's asking for what adds up to about 300000 bucks, right? He didn't account for the 135 so he's asking for like $300,000. $300,000. He, he did maybe like, I'll be generous, $30,000 of the work. $30,000 of salvageable work or work that had to be ripped out? No, I'm just saying that basically 30000 for the demo and the pack out. I'm, I'm being very generous with that number and everything else is complete crap. Sorry. So $270,000 is like, hey, you owe me $270,000 for, I don't know what it's for either, but. Just let's put it up. Yeah. Okay. There's no invoice. There's no accountability for what. See, here's the thing in Pennsylvania. Probably if you don't pay him his money, he's probably going to sue you because he figures he's going to beat you up. You got it. You just went through all this nonsense. Now you got to get a lawyer too. These guys have a whole thing. We're in a good spot. See, one thing with people to understand being a contractor, this is where I come in, is that there's laws in place for the good contractor, not the bad contractor, but for the good contractors. We have to write up a contract. We have to have a start date, an end date. We have to have payment schedules on work that needs to be completed, a time to be completed at a certain time. We've got to have our HICPA, which is the Home Improvement Consumer Protection Act license number on that. And if there's anything additional, and this is what, Mike, I mean, you can explain pretty good what I I did for you, is I need to say, hey, we, we got done this. This the next set of work that we have to do. I have to put it in writing and get it to him and he's got to approve it. Now, let's walk through some of the quick steps. Explain to our listeners, how did I set up the knowledge that I gave you for the contracts when we talked about it? You do an excellent job, especially for people that have a very busy life and have two young kids and don't have a lot of time. So you give us a heads up every single day, if not every day, every other day. So what I love about the way you do your business is in an email or a text message, you'll give us an update to the contract. It's basically a working document that is always being updated on a weekly basis. So you send us the updates and ask for my approval on a, you know, a day, every other day basis. And then every week you'll actually formally update the word document that is the actual contract just so we can touch base by you know every week and just make sure we're on the same page and it's great so before we start any work i have to present this idea with you i've got to put it in writing tell you exactly what we're going to do and and you approve it before i start absolutely and you do a very great job of planning ahead and letting us know what's going on what we need to order so we're all on the same page yeah it's it's great so in other words you do it the right way (laughs) okay i kind of abide by the law Uh, so that's what you but that's what you're supposed to do. But a good contractor who does this, here's what I always tell people is that when you hire the right contractor, you're gonna know it. But if you feel shady from the beginning about a contractor who's not giving the right information If it doesn't how, feel right, you shouldn't do you it. You shouldn't do yeah. it. There are a few good contractors out there. The reason why people don't like me is because I tell them right up front, you're a horrible contractor, the way you're doing things. Uh, the workmanship's pathetic, you're giving the homeowner not what they're paying for, you're making shortcuts, and the workmanship's not that great. Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing that, what are you doing in business? And I just think of myself as an average guy. I, I don't think right. anything special. Right. I mean, you can see the difference between the two, the quality, the workmanship, I mean, what we did in the industry. But this is the thing that homeowners need to know because when they're hiring the right contractor, it should go smooth like this. Well, Mike, you're in Bucks County. So if all else fails, there's Mark Ferber in the Bucks County DA's office. And it sounds like oh, he's going to be already could, called for this. It could go this way. Yeah. Yeah. I got him on standby to tell him yeah, about absolutely. the story. And uh, as absolutely. soon as we get all the uh, puzzles in place, getting a lawyer on his end, which is the proper thing to do so far. Listeners, while you're 
you're having a little bit of discussion, the best thing I always tell people is get a lawyer. I'm a contractor. Ron's uh, one of the best writers in the business, but we're not lawyers. So get a lawyer. And then from there, you know, if you have any other advice about the construction industry, we're here. And stick with us because we are wrapping up Real Estate Roundup 2023 with two wonderful people from California. And that's Heather Chadwell from the Lux Enclave of Newport Beach and Gabe Mendez from San Diego, who really knows the San Diego market. So stick with us. You'll enjoy that. All right. We'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl and polypropylene siding. Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of real wood. People often stop and ask me about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Okay, so how about colors and styles? My customers love the extensive palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues. New colors for 2023 include Miss Gray, Harvest Red, and Pine. And Provia offers a wide variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and new Harbor Mill shingle and shake siding. Harbor Mill is reminiscent of traditional rough sawn shingle and staggered hand-split cedar shake. Both profiles are modeled after genuine cedar pieces using highly accurate laser scanning to ensure all the detail and texture of real cedar wood grain. Harbor Mill siding was designed with the installer in mind, incorporating built-in features that aid in a more efficient, hassle-free installation. The lightweight, rigid panels are easier to handle and include locks, guides, and marks for the installer. That makes for a quicker installation and beautiful curb appeal. Yup, and you can see it all and have the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Check out Provia's design center on the website and experiment with their exterior home visualizer to see how all the different styles, colors of Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and roofing work together. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, Ron, as we are wrapping up the Real Estate Roundup 2023, we are staying in California, I believe. We are staying in the California, and we're moving down the coast. Last week, we talked to Susie Fratiani in L.A., and we are moving to Newport Beach to Heather Chadwell. Heather was on last year. She did a fantastic job describing the Lux among Lux communities <laughs> on the West Coast. Thank you for the price of the homes there today. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, Heather, welcome back to Your Valuable Home. When we checked with you last year, the market was strong in Newport Beach. I can't expect that it would be change. I just got back from Palm Springs where homes prices have dropped a bit, believe it or not. I found that out out there. Yeah, I know the same thing about Palm Springs. There's definitely a, is a change in the local real estate market here since last year. The over-robust activity we saw in 2022 is just no longer there. Most significantly is a dramatic reduction in the number of real estate agents, which makes sense because it's such a competitive market and the sellers need to depend on knowledgeable and experienced agents to sell their properties. It's no longer like a, a matter of just putting a sale sign in the front yard and getting numerous offers getting the top dollar in any market requires, you know, a strategy that will provide a plan to the seller on a step-by-step basis as to what will be done, contingency plans and expectations, et cetera. 
So, you know, it's um, it's not the same as it was last year. That's for sure. And you're at the highest end in Newport Beach? Yes, it's very high end. But there is, you know, a significant reduction. Interesting you should say that because we talked to two realtors on either side of the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. One was from Anne Arundel County, which is where Annapolis is. The other was from Talbot County, which is one of the richest counties in the whole country. A lot of money from D.C. and places like that. And he said the same thing that you're saying. It's not the same market as last year. It started to slow down. That's very high end down there. Very high end. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. So like, it seems like the higher end. And when you get up into, you know, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 million marks, you know, those houses tend to sit a little bit longer. But for the most part, I mean, it's probably affected most areas. We're not too, too affected here. Inflation's not that big of a factor in Newport Beach because it's more of an affluent area. So to like a larger degree, it's more isolated from impacts of inflation, relatively speaking. The property appreciation increases so much here, you know, and so does inflation. Real estate is really the best head you could possibly have to combat inflation. Mortgage rates. If people do have mortgages in your market, they probably have them. If they've had the house for a couple of years, they probably ran in the twos or maybe the high mid mid threes. So they're not going to want to sell their house either. So do you have a, a supply problem there? Since many of the transactions here are cash, interest rates would have little impact on the sales activity. However, interest rates impact the entry level buyers, if you will. So Perhaps it does ultimately have a ripple effect to the higher end market. But in most of the, the markets this year, these continues to be a seller's market with little inventory. We just experience a seller's market in our area because the people don't move here because of economic reasons. You know, a lot of these people have like second, third homes. So, you know, there's not that much availability and in, in inventories because of that. What is the total count of high end properties in the Newport Beach area? You'd be surprised. I know down at China Beach, there's three right along the cliff and they're extravagant and beautiful. And a couple of these people, you know, they have homes in Miami, so they don't have to sell the home, if you will, but they just want to be elsewhere. So it's like when these people sell, they don't say, okay, I'm broke. You know, I got to cash in this house. So the properties sit because they don't have to sell them. And I have noticed that some of them are coming down a million here and there. I mean, we're talking up in the $20 million properties and such. But again, for the most part, people here, they have multiple properties. A lot of these are vacation homes. So there's not too much inventory. And then when there is, they don't have to sell. You know, even if you have cash, it's like, well, you know, if I want to sell, I will. If not, I know one guy is wanting to just get back to his Miami penthouse and whatever, and he's just not out here enough. His business is there. So he's willing to go down a little bit as well. But when you're up in those type of either 20 million to 70 million, these are specific buyers you're looking for. So they don't tend to just pop out immediately. So they will sit a little bit longer. Do you have an offshore market there too? People from China? Wanting to get into new Yeah, Beach. you know what we've noticed? Many buyers are coming from like Northern California because the areas in Northern California are just, they're ran differently than Orange County. You know, the different counties are, they're just ran differently. A lot of people from Northern California are coming down and we are still seeing a strong number of buyers from China. So, you know, they're definitely coming in overseas with cash. Although they have problems with their economy right now, too. Yeah, there's still big money over there, though. You know what I mean? And they come cash ready because, you know, this place is a little bubble of tranquility. And I call it immaculate 
immaculate city. It's just, it's so well-maintained and people that live here are more middle-aged to seniors, if you will. I mean, sometimes it takes a whole lifetime to be able to <laughs> move here and be able to live here. People sell their businesses or whatnot and come out. We have seen a few younger entrepreneurs moving out. They'll come down from, you know, LA or San Francisco and just want the peace and tranquility and the beautiful water and the real estate here is really exquisite. It's just so nice. Yeah, I've been through there once and it is really an idyllic place. And I think probably another appeal of it too for anybody who's lived in LA or San Francisco or Chicago or New York is there's not the traffic level down there that you get up towards LA, right? No. Well, you know, Newport Beach, they're really smart about like, so certain, there's dispensaries over, they don't allow any dispensaries around here. Okay. Not even in the neighboring. So you've got, you know, 20, 30 minutes from here. And then they don't even allow the dispensaries to deliver, deliver in Newport Beach whatsoever. So there's no like riffraff driving around. So they really are strict here and they keep it immaculate. I mean, there's even signs that say, you know, we prefer to have you donate to your favorite charity versus help do the panhandling thing. So they have signs with that. We want to keep the place safe and beautiful and immaculate. And people work really hard sometimes their whole lives to be able to move here and so it's really expensive. I'm just glad that the sheriff and the police, they just keep the town so immaculate and safe. Do you have neighborhood groups there? Most of the high-end homes are all mostly behind gates or associations and whatnot. And most of the people around here are on apps like Nextdoor. So they're very vigilant about watching for strange things or people that are this whole like living in a van thing and going around and doing YouTube. But you're on people's property that are paying <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in taxes and you're blocking their views. So the residents here are pretty vigilant about not allowing people to come and like like squat in front of their view that they worked their whole lives for. <laughs> it just keeps the town safer and it keeps the riffraff that may be coming through from the south or the north or whatnot. It's very different from Los Angeles and San Francisco. I mean, it's like night and day. So I can see why homeowners and people are kind of coming down this way to live in paradise and tranquility, if you will. It's just very harmonious. And like you said, very little traffic. All of the streets are immaculate. There's always people. All the communities have people just taking care of all the vegetation and all, you know, all the roads that you go. They're all very nicely manicured, if you will. It's just a really, really beautiful town. I'm really grateful to be able to live here and build my real estate business. Yeah, yeah well, which, you're, very, you know. you're very fortunate to be there. You know, I wouldn't call it a town. I would call it a Lux Enclave. How's that sound? <laughs> yes, it's very beautiful. It's good for the soul. There's all these little islands and just the real estate. It's just so nice. If anybody ever gets a chance to even come and lease a beach house for the summer or winter, I mean, it's just, it'll just recharge your whole soul. You just feel so good. I just feel so good every time I go to the beach or go to the office. I just am always so grateful. You know, what's the most expensive property that you know on your ML listing right now? 
So in Newport Beach, average price is about four point five. It goes up to seventy five million. Goes up to seventy five. Ron, what do you think? You want to hit one of those seventy five million dollars? No, we got one five. <laughs> we got five million dollar houses in Bucks County. Yeah, you know, it's next level, and there's different communities like Newport Coast. That's where Kobe Bryant lives and everything. And there's double and triple gates up there. You go to the one gate and get up there. Then you have there's a whole other street that has the sixty to seventy million dollar properties. That's a whole. That's another gate. You mean ultra secure for athletes and whatnot that play up in different cities up north, you see people from Los Angeles and that coming down and getting behind these gates and just, you know, investing their money into this next level real estate. Well, I too live in a gated community. I assure you, my (laughs) gate looks a lot different than their gate. (laughs) Well, as long as you have cameras everywhere, like everybody does here, you're keeping it safe. Well, Heather, this has really been very, very interesting. And pencil us in again for 2024, and we'll be back to you. Absolutely. I look forward to it. And you guys are doing such a great job expanding and chatting with everybody everywhere in the U.S. And you're just bringing some value and uh, some information to everybody. I think that's great. And it's so nice to hear from you guys. And I appreciate the invite. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you guys next year. You definitely will. And you know what I'll do? I don't think I ever sent you. uh, We did a uh, video series for YouTube got about 30,000 views, and it's called The Coolest Neighborhoods in America. Yours wasn't one of them. We didn't do that. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe next time around. That's not a bad idea, the most expensive neighborhoods in America. I think we were in Pasadena and Palm Springs. No, Pasadena. Bungalow having a mid-mod in Palm Springs. Pasadena? What in the world? Where'd you get that? No, it's a cool neighborhood, and my daughter and I just did a selfie in Pasadena. It's called the Bungalow Heaven, Arts and Crafts really? Houses. Really? Yeah, it's really a neat area. If you're up in Pasadena, it's right off Colorado Boulevard. You know, I've only been up there a couple times, so I really shouldn't talk. <laughs> I don't know much about Pasadena. I'll send you the link so you can see it. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah, fantastic videos. Okay, Ryan, as we continue with the Real Estate Roundup, which we are wrapping up, we are heading south in California, staying in California, correct? To San Diego, yeah. And your valuable home, 2023 Real Estate Roundup, would not be complete without the insight of realtor Gabe Mendez on the residential market in the San Diego area. Gabe, welcome back. How different was the residential real estate market in San Diego in 2023 versus 2022? Big difference. I would say Q1 and Q2 of 2022, we were just uh, transitioning from that low interest rate market market into like a mid-range market, four or five percent. So we noticed a slight change, but there were still tons of transactions taking place. Affordability was well within reach. You had buyer confidence was skyrocketing. Homeowners were taking advantage of their equity. A ton of money was moving in from out of state down into San Diego. So we had that from the transition 2021 into 2022. Then rates began to hike Q2, Q3 of last year. Q3 is when it got a little spooky. And that's when we, I think we hit about the five or six around that time. And and then we noticed just someone pull the e-brake, if you will, on the market. And we just noticed homes were now sitting on the market longer than expected. We noticed buyers, their confidence dropping, not wanting to move because of the volatility that was taking place. And that was around Q3 of last year, Q4. And then once things settled in, everyone just kind of, all right, well, this is where we're at. So 2023 now, it's kind of similar to that, but I would say it's a little more amplified, just given like the, not just economical impact that we're having, but also things globally and with elections around the corner. Everyone's kind of just standing on standstill right now, like, well, what's going to happen? Should we buy? Is it the right or wrong time? But the important thing that we're telling everyone is, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what happens to the market. There's two different strategies. If you're looking at this from an investment standpoint, maybe you take a step back and you don't wholesale, you don't flip, you don't purchase to hold or something like that. And maybe that's the strategy you take. But on the residential side, what we're telling our clients right now is at the end of the day,
hey, if this is a home that you're planning on living on for two plus years, five plus years, and this is where you're planning on enjoying with your family and you can afford the payment and your job is stable, there's no reason you shouldn't transact. There isn't a reason that you shouldn't get into the real estate game. So that's the biggest difference that we're seeing. I would say we're on Q3, Q4 of 2022, just amplified right now, given everything else that's taking place. That's interesting. Okay. And we've been hearing similar things, uh, not all over the country, but in certain pockets around the country. Same thing. We talked to a realtor in Newport Beach. She's not really experiencing a lot of dips in the market there. The market there is like sort of unreal. And in LA, LA is pretty much the same story that you're telling. Uh, There are a couple markets around the country that are different, but the Eastern Shore of Maryland, same thing that you're saying. The Western Shore of Maryland, not so much. So people are experiencing different things this year than they did last year. It was like all good news last year. And then there's a little bit of mixed news this year. What do you think about 2024? Because it looks like the interest rate is going to go up to 8% or above 8%. So we've already kind of passed the 8% depending on the loan product here in San Diego with some of the products that we have. We're in kind of the talks around the seniors, I guess, if you will, in, in the game are kind of talking to the rates hitting the nines by Q1 of Q2 next year at the latest. We're anticipating to see that to kind of slow things down a bit. Here's my take on it. So this is now my 10th year in the real estate business. I've had family in it before I was there. So I'm accustomed to what I've, you know, and I've been in it myself in terms of family having to go through what happened in the last crisis. But 10 years in the business now, and, and I've had a, full, a, a pulse on it. I've seen how buyers are reacting. We do a lot of transactions per month. So I'm getting to hear from the people how they're thinking, everything from a family just earning about 120 a year to about 350 plus per year. So I get a really good thumb on the pulse of how people are responding to what's taking place. Here's my take. I looked at what happened in 2020, and I tell myself, if we had a global pandemic that shut down the entire world's economy, we had unemployment employment rate at historical highs. There were death tolls in every city and every county across the country, across the world, and job markets were shutting down, things were slowing down, yet the housing market skyrocketed during that time. If a global pandemic can't shut down the real estate market, I don't see how elections, higher inflation rates could affect it. Yeah, affordability is down, but there's still people that are earning a really good living. You still have dual income families, and you still have these options that are out there with rate buy-downs and loan assumptions, and you have all these different products out there and ways of giving creative to sell these properties. So maybe we see a deceleration of appreciation. Maybe we don't see houses dropping in value. Maybe we see them slowing down in appreciation. The other factor is this. You have homeowners, a big chunk of the nation, 30 or 40% that are locked into these interest rates, 2 to 3%. They're almost jailed by that to stay in that home and don't want to leave. And then you have a huge market that are in San Diego that are baby boomers that have over 70% equity in their property. Most of them have their home paid off. They're not moving. So that's already in itself like 60, 70% of the market. You have a very small market of people that need to sell. And those are life events, people passing, separation, divorces, those kind of things. Those are few. So I say that because demand is still very high. Supply is still very low. We've already seen in the past that something cataclysmic across the globe couldn't slow down the market. So I don't see how in San Diego that happens. I don't see us in 2024 slowing down. I don't see us crashing. I don't see Armageddon taking place. I do see deceleration and appreciation. I do see affordability out of reach. I do see sellers having to accommodate by getting creative with these rate buy-downs and loan assumptions. I do see those things taking place, but I don't see the market slowing down. You know, I'll tell you something. I'll make two comments about what you, everything you just said. First of all, it's a very astute understanding of what happened during the pandemic. It's amazing that the market didn't slow down during the pandemic. You'd figure if anything was going to do it, that would do it. And then the other thing is that the point you made, and I'm one of those people, people have mortgages in the twos because I still have a mortgage in my house. Twos and threes, there is no way 
No way I'm going to sell. No way anybody with a mortgage at that rate is going to sell. So it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the seller's market is going to be with us for quite some time, right? Absolutely. You're starting to notice Congress passing laws and bills that are helping create more inventory. I think there was one uh, state, SB1 something that just passed recently, where now you can sell an ADU separately as a condo. They're just trying to find real creative ways. San Diego City not the county, but the city of San Diego. Well, the last 18 months has been very progressive with ADUs, making it very easy, having pre-planned ADUs that are for sale to shorten the time, shorten the cost of building ADUs. They're really moving forward and trying to create more inventory. And we're seeing it throughout the entire county. I mean, there isn't really much landscape left on the west side, more of the beach coastal communities, but east, more inland, we're noticing builders building, and it's just taking off right now. It's a good time to get invested into San Diego. Well, new developments are going to help with the supply, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just out in LA and had dinner with friends from the East Coast who bought out there and created an ADU. Probably more and more and more people are doing that. Oh yeah, it's it's really popular. There's a few cities in San Diego that are making it difficult. Shout out to Chula Vista for making it hard. But if you're looking to invest in San Diego and you want to build ADUs, I would say look first at any zip code that begins with 921. Anything with 921 is associated with the city of San Diego and they make it so easy from start to finish and the costs are much more affordable than any other city in the county of San Diego. Why is that? Why aren't they easy around San Diego? It's the politics. It's what it comes down to, the politics. And what about the prices of homes in San Diego and neighboring towns? I see the value of homes going up slower than we've seen in previous years. I see inventory saying remaining stagnant or kind of similar to where it's at. I see certain demographics getting priced out of the market. I see the people that have dual incomes that put themselves in good positions. Really, it's these like younger generations like Gen Z who are putting themselves in really good situations who learn from millennials and the rest of us what not to do, investing in real estate. And I just see the San Diego market just being a cornerstone in the nation for a state market all around. Job market, we have our military presence, we have our very high tourist destination, highly desirable. There's just so many factors with the county of San Diego that make it very difficult to shake up. How about the hot areas of San Diego? I'm talking about Coronado, La Jolla, Rancho Santa Fe. Is life going on as it was there? You know, it's interesting. So with uh, Coronado, and when they do sell, it's very few, but it's been a stable market. I would say coastal communities, Encinitas, Coronado, La Jolla, Del Mar, those markets are stable. They'll feel it from time to time, but those are more stable than the rest of the, I would say, sub 1 million. You know, you, you'll feel the effects of what's happening with Powell and with what's happening with the different conversations. You'll see that immediately there. But in the cities that we just mentioned, not so much. Those are a little slower. That's basically what Heather said about Newport Beach. Newport Beach has got some unreal homes priced at unreal levels, and I don't think they're going to be affected by much of anything going forward. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see these markets getting affected. Well, those specific markets that we just discussed, like $3 million plus, no, not at all. Where are the values to be found today in and around San Diego? So if you're looking to get in starter price, you want to grow with the community, you're looking to grow equity in, in, in a market that's growing, there's a lot of growth happening in the southern and eastern parts of San Diego. Um, so if you look in 92154, 92173, a lot of new schools, infrastructure, warehousing being built in those two specific zip codes. 92173 is East County. Tons of new development happening over there, strip malls that are growing. Uh, these are places that you can really get planted in, in the city of San Diego that you can grow with long term. 
Now, they're a little further commute from the beach. They're a little further out from what people typically know to be San Diego. Because when you think of us, you think of beaches, you think of palm trees, you think of parks. And these are a little further out, maybe a 25-minute commute without traffic, but they're growing. And it's a good place to get started in San Diego and, and to grow with it. You're probably looking at a starter home, three-bedroom, two-bath, move-in ready, need about the 800 k 775 around there, that price point. What about people looking to downsize now? If you are sitting on a ton of equity, or if you've got most of your house paid off and you're even paying in the twos or threes, you may want to downsize and use that equity to buy a smaller place. What about those people? Is there a market for them? Yeah, so we're noticing most of my clients who are older demographic have property, low interest rates, and they're, they're just selling to, to unload and live life. A lot of them are moving over to townhomes and condos. That lifestyle, it's all inclusive. You have your gym, you have your restaurants that are nearby, you have the lifestyle, and you don't have to worry about manicuring the lawn and the landscape, the property, and etc. So a lot of them are doing that. And I have a large handful of clients who are also just saying, peace out. They're getting in their trailer, their RV, and they're just traveling the world having a good time. But I noticed a huge jump. So I live in Little Italy. This is north of downtown San Diego. It's right in the mix. It's right in the heart of downtown. And a big demographic of older generation, I would say, is, is here. They don't want to care about anything, just want to live life, have a good time, go to their dinners, invite friends over, and that's it. I moved into a place like that a number of years ago now and love it. No lawn, no snow. I love that kind of lifestyle. How about the residential real estate investor? Can they find good values? Absolutely. I mean, I have a bunch of buddies of mine that are doing the wholesaling, investing, flipping, holding, everything you can think about. It's still out there. Remember, uh, like we said at the beginning of the conversation, there's a huge population of baby boomers that own real estate in the market that grew up in that wave and their house is dilapidated. They don't know what options exist. Maybe they've just been turned off to the media and don't understand what's happening and they just want a quick sale. Their flips are still being had. Investment opportunities are still being had. Buy and holds are still being had. All of those are still taking place. There's a huge area in central San Diego, 92115, 92113, 92114, Central San Diego, where these prices, you can fit, you can pick these properties up for five, six hundred thousand and then turn around and flip them into seven, eight hundred thousand in communities that you normally wouldn't see. I'll give you this last testimony and I'll just say this. There's this community, 92139, city of San Diego, but the community is called Paradise Hills. If you were to look up Paradise Hills 15 years ago, there's nothing tropical or paradise about it. You'd be like, oh, that's not the place I want to go just because crime rates were really high. Like it was bad. It was really bad in that area. And this is a place that you'd buy a home for 350, 400,000. And there's bars on the window. That's the type of community I'm talking about. 15 years later now, it's really gentrified. It's changed a lot. And we just sold a home there on a hill, having a view of Coronado. In downtown San Diego for 900,000 when historically price points were no more than 600, 650. And that's because people are now noticing these markets are gentrifying and changing. So yeah, these opportunities are huge out there. People just want to live in San Diego. They want to be happy. They want a good neighborhood and you can find tons of good neighborhoods, but the value is increasing. These markets and these neighborhoods are really changing quickly. And we're seeing that everywhere from the best parts all the way to the parts that were historically known as not the best parts. A lot of opportunity. It's nice. I mean, the views from up there are not bad at all. Yeah. If you look at my Instagram, you'll see the view on there. Yeah. Listen, if you're at 2024, if you're an investor, your strategy is a little different. If you're looking just to make a purchase for your personal family, two thumbs up. As long as your income and your job are stable and the payment's affordable, absolutely. There's no reason why in 2024 you should not get in the game. We all know looking at any historical chart, 
since the inception of real estate, since we've been tracking real estate trends, the San Diego market, I can't speak for the markets, but the San Diego market has always been solid. It's gone up, it's gone down, but historically over time, it has always gone up and it always will. So get in the game. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship, the Provia way. That's this week's podcast. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 